We are in a series of messages. If you're here for the first time or joining us online for the first time, we are preaching series of messages here. That means we take a subject and we follow it for three, four, sometimes five or six weeks. And we started a message series last Sunday, and it's called I'm Loving It. Actually, I am loving it. And it's about learning to read and study and learning to love the Word of God, loving the Bible. And it's probably the most important habit you can acquire in your life is to learn to love to read the Bible. I'm serious. You may have a lot of knowledge. You may know a lot. You may be very smart. But there's one big difference of the Bible to any other book. The Bible claims that it can change lives. Your textbook can't. <laughs> your history book can't. You know, your driver's manual can't. <laughs> but the Bible claims to change people's lives. I'm one of them. And my family has been changed by the Word of God. And it's really, really wonderful. And I love the Word of God and I also love the God of the Word. See, you get to know the author of the book. I read about this lady that read a book and she read it and she was bored by it. She thought, man, this is a boring book. And halfway into it, she laid it down and said, I'm not going to read that boring book. A few months down the road, she met the guy who wrote the book. She met the author and he was a good looking guy. He was ripped. He was fit. He was handsome. He was, you know, charismatic. And she fell in love with the guy. And the more she got to know the guy, the more they dated, and she, the more she fell in love with him, she said, well, I have to look at his book again. And she started liking his book. <laughs> she started reading his book, even though she hated it before. She started loving the guy. And so she said, man, this is not so bad after all. And she fell in love with the book he wrote. That's how the Bible is. The Bible is dry and boring for those who do not know God. But it's alive and powerful for those who know God personally. And that really sets Christianity apart from every religion or any religion. See, Christianity is not a religion. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's really not. I don't personally like religion. I'm, I don't like the, the Muslim religion. I don't like the Buddhist religion. I don't like any religion. I don't even like the Christian religion because people like to make religions out of things. I know that my God lives, and Jesus came to offer me not a religion, but a relationship with Almighty God. And this relationship I can develop, I can live by prayer, by speaking to God, by speaking to our Heavenly Father, and by reading His book He's the author. He gave us a book. We can know both. As we read the Bible, we should pray and read at the same time. See, what God has joined together, man should not put apart. See, if you read the Bible without praying, you're basically an atheist because you're actually just reading for information. And you get a big head. Maybe you get puffed up because knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes proud. 
But actually, I really believe this with all my heart. We're living in a time where it's going more and more apart. Those who know that they need God and those who will never admit that they need Him. In 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In the last days, terrible times will come, and people will be lovers of themselves. Doesn't that describe our time? People love themselves. People think they're God. They don't need God. This is the spirit of our time that we live in. At the same time, people come to realize that they need God. They fall on their knees. And how to be really great and really exalted is if you are able to humble yourself. The Bible also says those who do not humble themselves will be humbled. They will be brought down. So the good news is God loves us so much that he sent Jesus who died for our sins so we could realize we are sinners. We're lost. See, we have to realize one thing. Christianity, I already said, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And Christianity, now this may also surprise some of you, even those watching, Christianity is not about making you better. It's not. Have you ever heard the song Amazing Grace? You know that song? It says, I was blind, but now I see. See, the gospel of Jesus is not about making a person that's bad better. It's making a blind person see. Or the Bible says, making a dead person alive. See, the Bible says we're dead. Dead, separated from God. What is death? Death is separation. Death is a separation. When you die physically, your body and your spirit and soul get separated. So the best definition of death is a separation. Spiritual death is when man is separated from God. You may be able to breathe and live and do, do life as you know it, but you might be dead if you don't know God because that's what really the condition of man is. And I love the song Amazing Grace because it describes the gospel, not making you better. Oh, I have to try to be better. Oh, I'm a Christian now. I have to try. Christianity at its core is not what you are doing. Now listen to me. It's about what he has done on the cross. And once we realize what Jesus has done for us on the cross, then we have the power to change. Now, if you're a nurse or you work in a hospital, uh, we've, I've got one lady in the, in the church here that uh, she has seen thousands of people die. She was in the intensive care unit. She saw thousands of people Thousands of people died. She was actually helping them in the last minutes and seconds to really make their peace with God. It was her ministry. She was 40 years there. But you know what they do? When a person is dead, they take all the needles out. They put the cover over the head or whatever. Or they, they just finish, finish up. They don't take care of that person anymore because the person is dead. And when we're dead, the only thing that can help us is to come alive. And that's what Jesus did. That's the gospel. And that sets us apart from any religion you could think of. So we want to fall in love with God. It's the best thing you can do. The best thing you can do with your time is to fall in love with God. Now go back to the message we did last week. We talked about Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It has 176 verses which absolutely leave no doubt that the guy who wrote it, which was probably King David, loves the word 
of God. And it has 176 verses, 22 stances of eight verses each that all begin with the Hebrew alphabet. The first eight verses begin with the first letter. The second eight verses begin with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, all the way down 22 letters that are in that psalm. And it's, it's said that David wrote that psalm to teach his son, probably Solomon, to teach his son the Hebrew alphabet. And he did it by using the Bible. When I moved to America when I was 16 years old, I was really bad in English. I actually flunked English here in Austria in, in my school in, in seventh grade. I flunked. And I went from the gymnasium to the Hauptschule because my English was so bad. And uh, then I came to America as a 16-year-old boy. I went to high school there for two years. And I didn't have much vocabulary in English. So here's how you learn English in America. I watched Bugs Bunny. You know what Bugs Bunny is? You know the, the cartoons? And I actually started reading an English Bible. And I became one of the best in my English class just by watching Bugs Bunny and the other stuff like that and reading my English Bible. The Bible is a fascinating book. One of my early mentors was Zig Ziglar. He was a motivational speaker and also a preacher. He said, if you don't know the Bible, you're not educated. That's a strong statement. I happen to agree with it. See, if you know everything, but you've never read the bestseller of all times. Do you know that, for instance, in Sweden, the Bible has been the bestseller every year? In America, every day, 35,000 Bibles are being sold. So I don't know what the worldwide number is, but there's no other book like the Bible. And my goal is to make you fall in love with it. And falling in love is a wonderful thing. I'll be married to my wife in May, upcoming May, for 30 years. That's a long time. I don't know how many people you know that have been made, married for 30 years. I know I look like 35, I know. But uh, we did not get I was not 35 uh, when I got married. I was actually 20 when I was got, got married. And she was 18. But we fell in love. We spent time together. And you know it. There's nothing like falling in love. And we can fall in love with God. We can fall in love with the Bible. And it's the most awesome thing in the world. Now, Last week, we talked about two insights, uh, and the first one was we have the possibility of Bible study. Uh, in the Middle Ages, the Bible was chained in the church to the pulpit, and it was in Latin. And when John Wycliffe translated the English Bible, the, the, translated the Bible into English, he was persecuted by the church. The church said, you cannot do that. We cannot throw our pearls before swine. They were of the opinion that the Bible should only be read by spiritual people, by theologians, by priests. Today, there's over 50, maybe even more, translations of the English Bible. Dozens of translations in every other language. You have your Bible on the phone, you know, on your uh, smartphone, or stupid phone, whatever you want to call it, your tablet, your computer, and you can read the Bible and study it anywhere. But yet, we're so biblically illiterate. People don't know the Word of God. And that's so important that we say that and that we do that. Because the second thing we learned last week, not only the possibility of Bible study, but the power 
of Bible study. It gives wisdom. It gives growth. It gives life. It gives salvation. There's results. There's fruit. Now, Jesus said there was a man who went out to sow. Some of it fell on the way, and it was treaded upon, and the seed died. Others fell on the, in the thorns, and the thorns choked it. Others fell on rocky ground, and it did not have much, much uh, earth, and it withered and died. But some of it fell on good ground, and it produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. And Jesus said, that's the open heart. When the word of God falls into an open heart, it will produce great fruit. And so many people hear it, but they don't know what to do with it. They're closed. They're not open. And I would like to read to you a chop application just for fun to get started, okay? I would, I would like to apply for a job as a tutor, teacher, and advisor for you and your family. I never take a vacation. I never lose my sense of humor. I do not drink. I do not smoke. I will never borrow your clothes from your closet. I will never plunder your refrigerator. I get up in the morning earlier than anyone else in the house, and I will stay up at night as long as someone needs me. I will help solve all your problems with your children and will answer all their questions. I will also answer all your own questions. For example, where we come from and where we are headed. I will eliminate differences of opinions. I will advise you in all issues of work, family, and every other area of your life. In short, I will give you the counsel you need that will ensure the continual success, but most of all, joy and peace of your life and your family's lives. I am your Bible. Do I get the job? I am your Bible. Do I get the job? Friends, there's nothing like it. I've read over 700 books in my life, literally. And I'm not a super educated man. Actually, I'm not really an educated man. The truth of the matter is, I flunked out in school, went from gymnasium to, we call it Hauptschule here in Austria. Then I went one year to Hack. I had five fives. <laughs> That's like an F in America or wherever you're from. I had five fives. Then I quit that. I started an Bürokaufmann uh, Lehre. You know what that is? And I quit that after a year. Then I went to America. I got kicked out of school. I was such a nice guy. I terrorized everybody, especially the teachers and the girls. Yeah, I got kicked out of school, expelled. They let me back after 40 days. I got to graduate without the gown and the hat. It was kind of nice. I just got to, I had to go to the office and receive my diploma. I was a catastrophe. But at the bottom of my life, God got me. I went to Bible college for two years. I got married. That's all of my education. But after then, my education began. I read 700 books on every subject you can imagine, especially how to become a successful person. And I read the Bible, and it's transformed my life. And my greatest success is being married to the same woman for 30 years, together for 32 years, and still loving it, and six children that love God, and it's a wonderful thing. 
It really is awesome. The Word of God works. The book has changed my life. On the other hand, you have so many educated people, you may know them, that do not know what life is all about. They don't have their life in order. They don't know, uh, you know how they're going to make it. They're not happy. They're not fulfilled. And they're not really going anywhere. The Word of God has changed my life. And that's the most important education you can get. Let me show you real quick my Bible from Bible College. When I went to Bible College, I got this Bible. It used to look new, okay? And after two years of me using it, I wasn't really nice to it either. But I, I wrote in it. I colored in it. I, I worked it up and down. And I still have it today. This was my Bible school. My Bible school Bible. Then here I have my Luther Bible which I used for probably 10 to 12 years to preach from. Also, it's, it's pretty much falling apart. This one actually cost 120 euro because it's leather and it's really good. <laughs> and this is the Bible I use today, my German Bible and my English Bible. This Bible cost 5 euro. Okay, This Bible cost 12 euro. It's fake leather. And here I have a family Bible which has hardly ever been opened, okay? But, you know, it's beautiful, you know? And here, somebody, when I spoke, I have a, a Bible from 1630. It was given to me as a gift when I, I was actually coaching uh, two soccer players, two football players in the Bundesliga here in Austria, and it, th their mom, as a gift, because I helped them mentally, they gave me this Bible, and actually this one from 1630. If I ever need money, I'll take it to the pawn shop, I guess. Uh, but here's my question. Which of these Bibles is the most valuable one? Which of these Bibles I, I just showed you is the most valuable one? Let me give you the answer. The one you will read. The one that will go inside of you. A Bible to have to look good, like in a museum that you have to dust off, is not the purpose of the Bible. The Bible has to go inside. And I'll say it again. The Bible is like any other book. It is a history book because it has the history of everything from the beginning of the creation of the world till Jesus, till today. It's all in there. It has prophecies fulfilled. It is history. But it's much more than history. By the way, I believe the Bible is the best documented history book Ever. I get so amused that people say, who knows if it was translated correctly? Come on. Now, do you, are you sure Julius Caesar really lived? Are you really? How do you know that? Oh, it was, it was taught to us in history class. Bingo. It's all brought down to us over the years. But there's more manuscripts to the Bible by a multitude of times more manuscripts of the Bible that, that of the life of Jesus than any proof that Julius Caesar ever lived. Now, at least, if you don't believe in the Bible, at least be honest. Throw out all history books. Because if you can't trust this, you cannot trust any other history book. This is the truth. Jesus lived. They're secular Historians like Josephus in the second century who wrote about a guy who was crucified and came out of the grave. 
this is true. So it's a history book, yes, but it's much more because it, it has the standard and the claim that it will change people's lives. Now, should it be studied like a history book? Yes and no. It's good to have the history, but it should be studied to be applied. How can I use it? How can I live it? Should it be like a textbook? Well, if you go to university, you'll have a textbook, right? When you're done with that class, you put the textbook away. You don't look at it anymore, right? You're done with that class. With the Bible, you go back over and over and over again. Because, yes, it is a history book. Yes, it has some, some academically good things in it. Yes, it has some textbook kind of literature in it and poetry and history, but it's much, much more. It has the power to change life. So we don't read it just for knowledge. We, lead, we read it for transformation. And when we read the Bible, there's always something that God wants to change in us. See, here's a very important point, and that's why some people don't like to really read it deep because the truth of the matter is, when you open the Bible, the goal of the Bible is to change you every time. Every time it wants to change something in your life. It's, it's awesome, and it wants to be applied. But as we read already, that God wants us... Oh, did we read that? Mark? Did we read Mark 12? I don't even know. Sure. Let's read it again. Mark 12, 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? So Jesus had a dispute. I love this with the Pharisees, which the, with the religious people. And one guy said, so I like what I'm seeing here. Which is the most important law or commandment of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, that was the people of God back then, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So we, we love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Now that's awesome. Because there's Christians that say, well, God just wants our heart. That's hogwash. God wants your mind also. He wants your mind. He doesn't just want your heart. He wants your whole being, your heart, your soul, your mind, and all your strength. And that's how we should love him. And that's so incredible. And it's so life-changing if we know that we also study the Bible with the heart, with the soul, with the mind, and the result is power in our life. So how do I get the most out of it? This whole series is about loving the Bible. How do I get the most out of this Bible? How do I lift the treasure chest and receive what God wants to tell me? There are a few prerequisites. Number one, we need the right heart. So we need a new heart. We need a new heart. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, anyone who believes in Christ, how many? Anyone. Anyone means anyone who believes in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Now, in John 3.16, Jesus said, in the most famous verse of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever, anyone, whosoever believes in him 
will not perish, but have everlasting life. So see, God is gracious. He sent his son. And um, honestly, I don't think God's punishing anybody. But somebody who says, I don't want you. I don't want your love. I don't want your grace. I don't care about you. How can you help somebody like that? That's like if somebody threw you the lifeline and you say, I don't want it. Leave me alone. See, I don't think God punishes anyone because he punished Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to take our punishment. That's the purpose of the cross. He took my place and your place. And my job is to trust him for the forgiveness of my sins. And that makes me new. In Romans 10 verse 9 it says, If you believe in your heart in the Lord Jesus and confess him with your mouth, you will be saved. So the Bible makes us new by trusting Jesus. The Bible changes lives. But that leads us to the next question. Why do a lot of intelligent people not understand God's words? Why? It's, that's always amazed me. I guess that's what I was trying to say earlier when I said I'm not educated or that educated. But what's always amazed me is why do a lot of intelligent people don't get the simple truth of what the Bible teaches? Now, there's an answer, and it's found in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, the apostle Paul, who was very smart, by the way, he said, some people don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Things like that are foolish to them. They can't understand them. In fact, such things can't be understood without the Spirit of God. So that, that the answer is very clear. If somebody does not have a new heart, if somebody is not regenerated, they cannot understand. I have tried to hammer the gospel into people. It's, it, it does the opposite. It doesn't work. Because they don't get it. Because their heart is closed. M remember? They're blind. Remember? And they're dead. <laughs> now try to explain to a dead person anything. They can't. Try to tell a blind person, do you see the wonderful mountains of Austria? They can't see it. Why can't they get it? Because they're dead and they're blind. That's why Jesus said some fell on the way, some fell in the thorns, some fell on the rocks, but a few things fell on good ground, on an open heart. You know, I've been a pastor now for 23 years, preaching for close to 30 years. And guess who comes to me? Who asks me for help? Or who comes to me? Only people who are at the bottom. I never, ever had this happen. Pastor, I'm doing wonderful. My life is beautiful. Do you have, do you have, a, do you have time next week for an hour? Can we talk? Never. It don't happen. Excuse me, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. People come to me only when they have problems. Never heard of, oh, pastor, my wife and I are just having the most wonderful romantic love relationship time right now in our lives. It's so awesome. We love each other like more than on the wedding night. Can we talk next week? It doesn't happen. You know when people come to grips with reality? When the poop hits the fan. It's so sad. 
People don't think they need God until they need him. Isn't that a paradox? But do you realize you need him just as much when you're doing well as when you're doing bad? It, he never changes, and the fact that you need him never changes. But when do you realize it? Oh, now you're being harsh. No, I'm talking to myself. When I'm doing good, I pray less. Should I pray more when I'm doing good? Yes, I should. I should actually pray more and thank more. But the fact of the matter is, when do we pray the most? When we're having a tough time, most of us. So the fact of the matter is that we need a new heart. And when we have unbelievers, people who have not received Christ as Savior, we're actually not getting through because the Bible says they're blind and they're dead. They need to open their heart and receive life, which only he can give. And I once was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I live. Real life. I'm talking about spiritual life through Christ. And in the ESV version, it's another English version, it says, he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the words of God are not understandable for a natural person for a fleshly person if you wish but there's one other powerful verse in second corinthians 4 4 paul wrote the god of this world who's the god of this world the devil satan hey not, i'm not talking about almighty god i'm talking about the the god of the system of the world who rules politics who rules the money world not god hey he's sovereign over everything but who is leading the people of this world the devil, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Let's read that again. He has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They can't see the light of the good news of Christ. He is the likeness of God. Jesus Christ is God became flesh. God became man. But if you're blind, you cannot see that. I can tell you in the most awesome ways. I have this guy, a friend of mine, actually. He's an unbeliever. I have unbelieving friends because Jesus said we should love them. We should, you know, not give up on them. We should tell them about Christ and we should live in front of them like the light of the world, salt of the earth. But I've talked with him about what I'm telling you right now many, many times. And then he comes to me next week and says, how's your religion doing? I just explained to you last week, I don't have a religion. I explained to you last week, I'm free from religion. I have a faith. I have a relationship. Do you get it? No. It's because as smart as they are, there's things that can only be understood spiritually. And you have to open your heart. I sometimes wonder, does God have to open the heart? And is, is God like choosing whose heart is going to open, or can a human being do something for his heart to get open? I think both is true. It's kind of paradox, but God opens hearts, obviously. But I think when we begin to get hungry and we begin to be desperate, we make, even when unbelievers, they make a step towards God, God honors that. And he comes in and he gets whatever he can get. If you, if, I think if a person just opens this much of the door, he will take it, <laughs> you know. He will take whatever he can and just open it, you know. 
Just give him what you got. If you, I always say, if you don't believe completely, believe what you can. Just believe as much as you can. God will honor that. See, God will honor your step. Do I understand everything? No. Do I have doubts sometimes? Yes. Do I still believe in God? Sure. Even though I have doubts and even though I have some things I don't understand, lots of things actually, the more I know, the less I know, I know nothing. Very true. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They can't see the light of the good news of Christ's glory. He's the likeness of it. So what do we do with people that we have shared the gospel with and they cannot get it because they are blind? Pray for bingo. It's the only thing. Quit preaching to them. Quit preaching to them. Pray for them. Be their friend. Pray for them. Really. They need Jesus. They don't know it though. They need God. They don't know it though. So we pray for them. Especially in the family. Quit preaching. <laughs> don't preach at your family. Live it in your family. And when you have the opportunity, somebody asks you a question, then take that opportunity and say something. Augustine said, I preach the gospel 24 hours a day. And sometimes I even say something. It's incredible. Yeah? So number one, we need a new heart. And that's by being born again, by being, becoming a new person inside. Jesus said to a religious guy, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be renewed in your spirit. Number two, we need a hungry heart. A hungry heart. See, if you're Christian, sometimes we're also bored by the Bible because we do it out of duty. Duty. My question is, are you hungry or are you doing it out of duty? I've read the Bible now for 38 years, 37 years. And um, I, was a, I was a little bit of a religious Christian for a while. You know, one of those religious ones. You know what I mean? I had that phase. Sh Short-lived, but I had the phase. And, you know, trying to, trying to save everybody, trying to, you know, trying to do it and trying to, I'm not good enough. Hey, listen, you're never good enough. Did you know that? That's why Jesus died. Oh, I disappointed God. Baloney. How can he disappoint somebody who knows everything? Impossible. Oh, he can't handle me. Oh, come on. You're not that important. And number two, you cannot disappoint a God who knows everything. He already knows what you're going to do tomorrow. And you know what? He's not shocked because he knows. So what's your problem? As long as we keep coming back to him, that's what we need to do. If you've just eaten, you won't want to eat again, right? I was recently, um, it's been a while, on vacation, and we actually on, on, the, on the sea, and I love seafood. I eat everything except frog legs, but everything else I like to eat. Christy hates it when I have a fish with its head on it. She likes to get to a different table, yeah? But when we, I love seafood, especially like in Greece or in Italy, or I love it. And we were finished eating, and we walk out along the, the pier, and there's one restaurant after the other. And they stand out there, you know, with the menu, and say, hey, come here. And no matter how good it is, we just, we're full. We just ate. We're not hungry. And we, you're not going to eat if you feel like you're, you're hungry, uh, you're full. So that's how people are that are full of themselves or full of whatever they're doing. 
Now let's read First Peter 2.2. It says, like babies that were just born, you should long for the pure milk of God's word. It will help you grow up as believers. You can do it now that you have tasted how good the Lord is. What is the goal of salvation? Well, heaven. Well, no, it's really not. Honestly, it's not. The goal of salvation is that you get to know your heavenly father. It's that you have a relationship with God. And that does not begin in heaven. That begins here and now, today, a relationship. Now, when you believe in Christ, you will be with him forever. But do you, do you know that this heaven thing that Christians always talk about is not really quite what the Bible teaches? Do you know what it teaches? The end goal, it says in Revelation, the end goal is a new heaven and a new earth. Actually, the Bible teaches that heaven and earth will kiss each other and come together in one. Read the, read the rest of the story. Do you remember the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2? Paradise? Well, Jesus came to restore that. We're, not, we're far away from it now. But the goal is a global Eden. A global heaven and a new earth. New heaven. That's the final destination of our lives when Jesus is coming back and making everything new. That's, that's what it is. So the, the goal of salvation is, the goal of Christianity is fellowship with God. To get to know him better and better. That will take all of eternity. But that's what we need to focus on. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What is faith? Faith means just, just trusting. Believing. I don't understand it all. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. See, here's a big lie of the devil. You have to understand everything to believe. You don't. You don't. When I walk to the supermarket over there, it has these electri electric doors, right? I walk straight towards the door. I don't know how that works. But I know when I get there, it's going to open. I don't understand everything. I don't have to understand everything, but I trust, I lean on the fact that he carries me, okay? So that's what faith is, and to diligently seek him, and he rewards those who do that. So number one, we need a new heart. Number two, we need a hungry heart. Did you notice I didn't say perfect? I didn't say nothing about being perfect? Did you realize that? Do you know one of the worst guys in the Bible is considered to be the man after God's own heart? Do you know his name? David. Do you know David and Bathsheba? Do you know that story? Everybody knows that story, right? One day, good King David was walking on his balcony. Man, he just happened to see over on the wrong side of the, the, the town. He saw a beautiful chick bathing. Really, she was beautiful. She was not that beautiful. I'm just, I mean, I, I would have liked to have seen what Eve looked like. Do you think God made, made uh, some second-class woman? I think Eve, and she was naked. I mean, how can you screw that up? Now, seriously, how? Now, think about that. How the heck can you screw that one up? <laughs> See how she screwed it up? No, I think they both did. But, so it's like, it's like fascinating to me. 
So, whatever. Not perfect, but having the heart for God, having that repenting heart. God, I'm sorry what I did. I know I'm poor before you. I am poor, but with you I'm rich. I am nothing, but through you I'm everything. Your grace gives me all I need. I am nothing, but you are all in me. That's what the gospel is. Do you know that religion is the opposite? Well, I'll show you how good I am. I'll show you how much I read in the Bible. I'll show you how much I pray. That's the Pharisees. That's all they did. All they did was brag about what they were doing, how much they were praying, how they looked, right? They wanted to be seen in the temple, first row, leg room. That's religion. But faith has a contrite spirit. It's, it's a brokenness that leads to power. Do you realize if you've never been broken, you're not really useful? I've been broken in so many different places. And the moment I thought I am somebody, got broken again. It's good. I've been broken in all the right places. And God can put us back together. That's the gospel. Number three is an obedient heart. So we need a new heart. We need a hungry heart. And I'll close with this. We need an obedient heart. The Bible is boring for people who don't want to do what it says. But it comes alive for people who want to be changed by it. And it will change. Hey, and if you don't understand everything, so what? I don't understand everything. I understand more than I used to. Mark Twain said, the, the things in the Bible that I don't understand don't bother me so much. What bothers me is the things I do understand that I'm not living. Don't let what you don't understand keep you from what you can't understand. Don't let what you don't know keep you from what you can know and live it. So be obedient. And the more you're obedient, the more you're changed. In 1 Samuel 3.9, Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He's listening. You should, every time you open the Bible, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, your servant is listening. Joshua 1.8, never stop reading this scroll of the law. Back then they had scrolls, not, not books like today. Day and night you must think about what it says. Make sure you do everything that is written in it. Then things will go well with you and you will have great success. Read your Bible every day, really. What I do, I do three things. I want to give those to you real quick, then we'll close. Number one, if you get yourself a new Bible. Why a new one? Won't, won't my old one work? Well, are you reading it? If you're not reading your old one, get yourself a new one. I do that all the time. Like when I have a new goal of reading the Bible, a new uh, resolution, I get myself a new Bible because, hey, I got a new Bible and I start fresh with the highlighter and the pen. Start with a new Bible. Get yourself a new Bible. And what did we learn today? What's the best Bible translation? The one you'll read. It can be $5, 5 euro, or it can be 100 euro. But arguing about Bible translations, find one that is easy to read for you. There's many good ones. Number two, go to BibleServer.com. Have you heard of that? 
bibleserver.com, you have all the translations listed in German, in English, in French, in Spanish. You just put it up there, Genesis 1, and it will give you, and then you can pick your translation. What I do is I print out some chapters. This is Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It takes 20 minutes to read. It's 176 verses. If you want to start with a short chapter, go to Psalm 117, two verses. Then you can say, I memorized the whole chapter. Fine. That's what I do. I read it. The first time I read it, I used a pink highlighter. The second time I read it, I used a yellow highlighter. And I just read. I do that all the time. I go to bibleserver.com. I know this is old-fashioned, but it works. You can read your Bible on your, on your smartphone. You can read your Bible on your laptop. You can read your Bible on your tablet. But there's nothing like paper, baby. Hey, I know. I know I'm not really the most modern in that, but I'm telling you, get yourself a pen, a highlighter. Make yourself notes. That's how you get the Bible inside of you. So I use a new Bible all the time when I want to reread the Bible. I take a new Bible. I use BibleServer.com to find my translation. I print it out, the chapter I want to study. And uh, like, for instance, I did Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, which is 39 verses in 11 different translations. And I read, before I ever teach it here on Sunday morning, I read it at least 11 times, probably three times, so 33 times. So that's how you, it, it just changes your life. It's, it's, it's so phenomenal. And number three is the Bible Project. I love the Bible Project. There's a, you can go to, to bibleproject.com and it gives you the most awesome overview of the Bible. They now have over a million subscribers on YouTube. Most of the videos are watched more than a million times. And what they've done is for each Bible book, let's say Genesis or Matthew or Isaiah, they made one video, a 10-minute video for each Bible book explaining the most important things in that book. So actually, some of the longer books have uh, two videos, Genesis, 50 chapters, two videos, but no more than 10 minutes. And you watch that video, and you really know what's the, what the book's about and what the main points are. And it's incredible. And they've also done videos on certain topics. I love the Bible projects. This is for starting. If you're just starting to read the Bible, that's perfect. Get yourself a new translation. Use BibleServer.com and use the Bible Project. Yeah, I could give you more tools, but that's for another time. Congordances and, and Bible dictionaries and Greek dictionaries. Forget it. You don't need that. You need the Bible in your language, right? So find one that you can easily read. Go on the BibleServer.com. Go on Bible Project on YouTube and Stay away from too many YouTube videos that talk about how bad things are and, 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 and uh, conspiracies everywhere and the Antichrist. Uh, I've heard Trump is the Antichrist and I've heard Obama is the Antichrist and I've heard the North Korean dictator is the Antichrist. Oh, come on. You know, there's so much out there that you just need to be careful. But the Bible Project has cool videos 
that explain the Bible. Ten minutes and you get a grasp on that Bible book. It's incredible. So that's my lesson for today. I'm loving it. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, good God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, you're the Son of God. You're the living word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning, there were you, and you became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. And you died for our sins. You went to the cross. That's the Christian message, our hope, the cross. You were buried and you broke out of that grave on the third day. You came alive. You came out of that grave alive. And you said, all who believe in me, I will give them eternal life as well. If you would like that, just say a simple prayer like this in your heart. You don't have to say it loud. Just say, Jesus, I heard today that you're the Son of God. I choose to believe that. I really just want to believe that right now as good as I can. I want to believe you are who you said you are. Your God Almighty became a man. I trust you now. I give you my life. I receive yours. Come into my heart. Change me. Mold me. Shape me. Thank you for giving me the hope I need in this hopeless world. The light in this dark world. Thank you for making me see more and more who you are. I open my heart to you now. And I allow you and your word to come in. Jesus, I need you. God, I need you, and I trust you now.